We're live. Welcome everybody to our last webinar, educational event. What are we calling them, Sarah? Our last for now, for educational now. event. Yeah. Our last until the next one. Um, I'm Kelly, uh, Sarah, we're with Feisty Media and this is dealing with post-race letdown and what's next. Uh, we are presenting these as we have a number of our other special uh, educational events this year in partnership with the VinFast Ironman World Championships. And to get more info on Ironman or Ironman 70.3 events, uh, races and training, you should follow Women for Try on Instagram. And so if you've listened to our other ones, you know we talked about preparing for Kona. We talked about kind of the lead up. And now we're talking about after. And so Sarah, I want to ask you, you know, just before we set the stage here and hand it off, why was it important that we talked about after the race too? Why did it not just end at the race? Yeah, well, I think this was actually your idea, wasn't it? I know it was, it's because I'm brilliant. It was, yeah. It's brilliant. Um, <laughs> no, I think I do. Th I do actually think it's brilliant. I think that like the that post race feeling that we have that like I think everyone or most people have to some extent, which is either like a a small low up to like you know somebody who might experience a more serious like type of depression after a race. I think that we often like we know that it happens and we talk about it like in silos or in our own little like chat group mm -hmm. or whatever but we don't necessarily talk about it or have like experts um who could help us through it so i think that's kind of what we wanted to achieve For here sure. is just like have that conversation a little bit more deeply and figure out like what can we do because we all know it's a thing and um and we want to help people through it right yeah i also think like it's a lot of times we get really obsessed with the race right triathlon kind of exists by races but we always talk about being a lifestyle right and so it doesn't just mm -hmm. like end uh, obviously, we were talking about Kona specifically. It didn't like end. Triathlon didn't end on October fifteenth. Like, still a thing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> triathlon did not end <laughs> on October fifteenth. What? what? <laughs> um, so Sarah is going to be uh, hosting this, and I'm going to go away now and hand it off to Sarah, who is the CEO of Feisty Media, former pro triathlete. I feel like I should give your whole spiel, even though you're always here. And she's going to introduce your amazing panelists um, and, and get down to it. Cool. Thank you, Kelly. Okay, I'm very excited to um, introduce the panelists. But first, for anyone watching live, uh, could you tell us where you are? Where are you watching from? Um, we'd love to hear from you and get the chat going. Uh, we also want your questions along the way uh, so that we can get to as many of those at the end as possible. Um, so panelists, here they come. So first, I would like to introduce Dr. Erin Ayala. Erin uh, has a PhD in counseling psychology, and she often works with Feisty. She was a contributor for our Fuel course, our Strong course. She's a cyclist and a triathlete herself, um, and she she works with athletes and leads programs through her company, Skatey Sports Psychology. Hi, Erin. Hi, Sarah. Thanks for having me. Stoked to be here. Yeah, so happy that you're here. Um, okay, and we also have endurance and strength coach Marilyn Chakota. Marilyn is perhaps, and Marilyn, hi. hi. I hope you don't mind me saying this. I feel like you're like the most underrated coach in triathlon, as in like you get so many amazing results for your athletes. Um, and I wish people were talking about you more. Um, and you helped me personally win Ironman Mont Tremblant um, way back in the the good old days. Um, so welcome. Thank We're very you. happy to have you. Thank you so much for having me. Really excited to be a part of this conversation. Cool. And Marilyn coaches through her online business, Marilyn Chakota Coaching. Is that right? Yeah. MCC.coach is the easiest way to find me. MCC.coach. Awesome. Okay. And last but definitely not least, we have Jennifer Volman. Jennifer's a longtime, hi Jen, a longtime endurance athlete. And she now works specifically on mindset as well for endurance athletes through her business, FindingEndurance.com. How are you, Jen? I'm great. Really excited to be here. Cool. Welcome. Oh, look, and we have lots of comments. Hello, New York, Carlsbad, Bay Area, Washington, Canada. Yay. Oh, and Mexico. All right. Well, welcome, everyone. Um, thanks for joining us. Okay, so here's where I want to start. Erin, I'm going to start with you. Mm -hmm. You know, we talk about, like, we hear this a lot, like the post-race blues, mm -hmm. you know, but what does that really mean? Yeah, I think this is something that's really unique to endurance athletes training for really significant or big, meaningful events. It's also really common with Olympic athletes who are on a four-year mm. training cycle. Um, so post-race blues are really, they're, they're think of them as this kind of emotional dip 
or plateau or letdown that athletes often experience after a really big event. You often, people describe it as feeling hollow, kind of empty, um, irritable, restless, just kind of lost. And it's usually happening right after, not right after the event, but as like the adrenaline from the event kind of settles before they've gotten back to their typical training routine. So there's also this lack of structure and mm -hmm. the routine or schedule that they're used to, which I think further exacerbates it. It's kind of like a loss of purpose in a sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And loss of purpose can be significant, right? Very, very, very significant. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so Marilyn, I'll ask you this first. Like I know that different people experience a different degree of low point. Just like, could you tell us a little bit about some of the struggles you've seen in some of your athletes? Yeah. You know, I, the, I think the most important thing Aaron said, even in that piece was the part of um, routine. And I feel like every athlete that I work with it is a different degree of when they come off of a race. Some of them really need to step back and have a bit of time and they need that space from all of the stress and the event. And, and so that is unique to what their needs are within the first, uh, it's usually like 48 hours, 72 hours, you know, seven days, 10 days, that's sort of the main window. And then other people, you need to really stay on top of them that it happens pretty quickly. And that routine piece of it is such a huge part of it and recognizing what type of athlete you are. So, you know, and, and having a coach that's overseeing that saying, okay, this is the type of athlete that really does need some space and needs a good 48, 72 hours to just digest everything and have a little bit of space and have a little bit of time to themselves. Or is this an athlete that you need to keep an eye on and say, whoa, if they're really, really sort of, I call it like they're tur a turtle going into their shell and that's not, we know that that's not good for them and they need to be into right back into that routine, then that's our job to recognize that and reach out to them and make sure that they're okay and that we start that process quicker than probably what they even want to. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And Jennifer or Aaron, have you seen any other types of, um, I guess, have you seen the struggle appear in any other ways that, that we haven't talked about yet? Yeah, the routine is a lot. And then I think a lot of athletes either will then overcompensate and then go back into it too quickly and do too many things without actually taking a proper rest, which you definitely see at the end of the season if they've done that subsequent times. Mm. Um, and then I see a lot of people, I have a lot of athletes, I have trouble with this myself when you've had all these like big workouts going into like a, when you're in a race build, like every workout really matters. And now you're like a 20 minute run. I don't know. <laughs> That's not a big deal. And so you skip that and then you skip the next one. You skip like you're right off the bike. And then before you know it, a couple months have gone by and they've skipped like 75% of their workouts because they were, you know, kind of lighter than what they expected. Mm -hmm. And Erin, have you ever seen cases where um, things have been quite serious, like where folks have fallen into like an actual state of depression? Yeah, absolutely. And I think part of it is um, usually where it is kind of matched with really significant life changes. Um, so it could be job changes or other big stressors, relationship stressors, um, injury, um, where things are kind of compounded. I think the other thing that I often see with day-to-day -day kind of athletes training for these big events is we spend so much time training for them, especially the, the longer endurance events. We're, we're talking Ironman, um, you know, gravel centuries or 200-mile races, these ultra races athletes will then finish and then they look back on the past six months. They're like, I could have, should have, wish I would have. Um, and it's this kind of regret or shame or frustration with how they showed up that specific day, as opposed to a lot of gratitude and appreciation for their body and the work and everything that they poured into it. So mm -hmm. I think that's where that kind of emptiness also comes into play is like, I could have, should have done so much more. Right. And what is our, like Aaron, what is our brain doing? Like, do like why does this happen to us? You know, like everything is, it's not just, it's not just um, what do you call it? Well, it is just mental, but there's always like a physical side to this stuff, right? Like there's always chemicals in our brain doing things and yeah, it is fascinating. Really I, I think it's fascinating because I nerd out over this stuff. Long story short, dopamine is one of the neurotransmitters in the brain. And when we are actively taking steps toward really meaningful goals, we are releasing that dopamine. So if you also think of that feeling, I get goosebumps just thinking about it, crossing the Ironman, the finish, the, mm -hmm. the start of the race is just, it's so exhilarating. That's your dopamine kind of working its way through, through your system. And 
with the regular exercise routine, we get used to that. And then, so this is why taper is also really difficult mm. for athletes because the exercise really significantly drops as we're resting and recovering. So we're not getting that same dopamine that we're used to. So it's basically your mood is shifting as a result of the changes in your routine and the exercise. Mm-hmm. And so do you think, like, should we be trying to get that dopamine hit somewhere else? <sighs> That's what everyone tries to do. Yeah, they're like, <laughs> I need, what, what do I do instead, right? Um That's where I basically say, like, we've got to ride the waves and the emotions. Like, as athletes, we are setting ourselves up for more highs and lows due to the nature of sport. And so if we're going to ride the highs, we have to accept the lows when they they arrive and trust that they will also work their way out of our system. And so then I also say, what have you been neglecting the past six or eight months that you'd like to direct more energy toward. It might be something creative or just like more fun, unstructured mm-hmm. workouts, things like that. Mm-hmm. You know, what's funny. I, I realize this now, like now that you know how like cold plunges are like all the rage right now. Um, <laughs> when I was, when I used to taper, I used to, I like realized that if I had a, sometimes if I just turn like the cold on in the shower, yeah. Um, during tapering, when I was feeling that low, I could like actually get a mood enhancement, which is, which is very weird. Like now to see like the science kind of back that up, but it was just like this hack that I just made up. I didn't know it had any real science behind it. I was just like, I feel better if I do this. So I'm going to do it. Um, so sometimes like little things can make a big difference. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, Jen, let's, let's ask you this one about like red flags. So, you know, I think some of us, you know, when we don't necessarily have a complete support system or some folks have just, just had a coach to get them into the race and through the race and now are maybe on their own or have, are surrounded by friends or people at swim club who they may see, um, suffering. Like what are some of the red flags to be aware of, of someone who might be like suffering from a low, um, a low point of people around us? Yeah, I mean, I I think I think that's a, a great point. Um, also, Aaron made about just ex- accepting it, like that's part of it too, is just accepting mm. this piece of it. So, but if you're finding yourself really struggling, even though you've totally accepted the low point, um, I find like restlessness is usually a really common sign, and it's it's back to the signs looking for that hit of dopamine. So if you're like trying to cover it up with all of a sudden, like a lot of social activities or too much working out, or perhaps a lot of extra food or a lot of extra alcohol or all these things that will like substitute this. If you find yourself like doing this, like to a a large degree than what's normal for you, that might be a sign that you're just at a pretty big low that you're unwilling to feel. Um, and so that's usually a, a pretty decent sign. And when that happens too, you know, like a suggestion is 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 the first part, just being aware of it. Like if you're aware that's happening, and you're aware that maybe you're facing a low, like that can go a long way to helping you like regulate your system a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Marilyn, anything to add there? Some red flags that you've seen in the athletes you work with? Yeah, it's it's a drastic change in in behavior to to try and get that that feeling right and that mm-hmm. I think that's the key thing that everyone is saying it's you know so I always recommend to people if you're used to waking up every day at 5 a.m yeah have your few days of sleep in but then let's keep the routine pretty same let's wake up at the same time every day let's have a schedule planned you know, most triathletes and athletes are driven by pretty driven people by schedule and just alone waking up and not you mentioned about all of a sudden having all this free time they get a little lost when they don't have all this free time so I think you know we can combat some of these urges to, you know, turn towards food or alcohol or social activities, we recognize that, okay, I'm in a bit of a low here. What can I do to make sure that I stay on track? Well, let's wake up at the same time every day. Let's have a plan where we schedule things at similar times that we're used to doing things every day. If we always swim at 8 a.m. every day, have something planned to go do at 8 a.m. every day that is healthy and it's productive and it's maybe it's meeting friends. Meeting friends gives you that same type of dopamine, but it's healthy and you're going to have a great conversation with friends. If you're used to getting getting out for a jog in the afternoon at three o'clock after work or five o'clock after work, maybe it's that you go for a walk with a dog or you uh, volunteer at a shelter or you're, that's a time that you play with your kids, something that's going to provide that same thing. But it's the same structure and routine going eating your meals at the same time going to bed at the same time or fairly close to after you've had a break and then before you know it that two three week window has gone by and you're starting to get into okay we're reevaluating the season we're starting to set new goals and we're starting to plan for the next year you've gotten through that hump and you're all and you're on to the next chapter of getting excited about new goals so i think just like you had mentioned 
be aware of it and accept it, but how can we combat it? Combating it comes from sticking close to those same routines and really planning for that in the days ahead, the week ahead, expressing it to your family and friends and saying, hey, I know I'm not training anymore for this specific event, but it's still going to be important for me to follow somewhat of a schedule. I think that's going to be um, really helpful for most people in that like I say, 48 hours, 78 hours, but mostly then once we get out of that 72 hours, that five days, 10 days, two weeks, that's when it's really going to be important to add that structure back in. Mm. Yeah. And when we talk about adding structure back in, I love your suggestions of like maybe meeting a friend for coffee instead of going to swim club or whatever. But um, also like how much we, you know, I remember I used to do things like if I would on a day what I would normally swim 4k, I might swim 2k, you know, like, so how much, um, and Marilyn, I'll, I'll bounce this back to you. Like how much exercise should we be doing to make sure that we're like recovering enough to get, um, to stay healthy into the next season too. Yeah. You know, it's really common if you come off of something, let's say as, as high as the world championships and whether you, if you, you talked about having a poor performance where you come home and you beat yourself down, you feel like you need to get to the grind right away because we're really driven people, or maybe you come off of a, a great performance and you're so excited and so motivated for the next year. Jennifer touched on that, that people get carried away and they get at it too quickly. So if you don't have a coach monitoring that for you, Having so we look, we, we, I just talked about the schedule. You can place in what recovery activities can I go do, and that was mentioned already. Maybe replace it with something else. Instead, go to your swim practice because it's probably social for you and it's non weight bearing, and there's a recovery element. Maybe you throw on the fins, the buoy, the paddle, and you get out early and you go in a couple lanes that are a little bit easier and swim with some new people. And so the friendship is still there. The structure is still there. There's a recovery element there, but you're not pushing yourself in lane one to get 5k and, and leaving on a strict send off and all of those things. And, you know, if you're looking at, okay, well, normally I might run in the afternoon. Well, we know I'm not quite recovered to run. How about going for to a spin class or perhaps maybe even just going to a yoga class or trying something different, but you're still you're still doing a little bit of activity and you're cutting it down to, let's say it's going to be under an hour and the intensity is going to be capped at 60 to 70%. And so the primary is that it's recovery based and that it's social and that it's fun and you feel better afterwards. And so you're always looking at those things in that window as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Aaron, do you have anything to add to that? Like what else sort of can we do during that time frame to kind of avoid that low or those low feelings? Yeah, I think I really echo what Marilyn has to say. I think I'd also add like athletes, a lot of endurance athletes really like to achieve and check the boxes and finish things. Like they like the the satisfaction of having done something. Yeah, like so, so what color does it change on training peaks? Exactly. Like green. Like, so <laughs> green, right. And so I think in general, it's like, there's this, there's like this sense of because I'm not doing those things right now, there's that, that restlessness that kind of Jen, Jen was describing. And so one of the things I'll often say to my athletes is like, are there other things that you could do to kind of get that satisfaction? One, like volunteering and altruism is a really great way. Like, you know, like walking dogs at shelters or just giving back to the community is a great way to kind of give yourself a boost, but also some of the creativity things like my, it sounds cheesy, but is weirdly effective. Like mindfulness coloring books, paint gems is a really big thing now. Like these really tiny pieces of beads that you put in, it's like paint by number without the paint. So it's a lot less messy. Um, or some of the other things of like taking a course online or reading a book that you've had on your nightstand for the past six months. Like what are the things that you feel like you've been wanting to do while training, but you haven't been able to make time for it because you've been prioritizing your training. That's a great opportunity. Um, and then other things, just like thinking about races for the next season. Like if you want to daydream and plan, like do it, like write down all the races that you'd love to do. And then you can have a reality check with coach later, but like mm -hmm. let yourself daydream. I think mm -hmm. that is healthy as well. I love that. Um, I also want to know what this bead by number thing is. <laughs> yeah. One of my, one of my athletes might be watching this right now, but she knows that I've done this. So this is, oh, is. this is versatile. Oh, amazing. So, is that, yeah. so that one Sedona? of my athletes actually like was really struggling with, um, some of the just like rest day stuff. Like I just, I need to do something. And so, um, but it was really funny cause she's like, oh, you do the small ones. I do the big ones. And I was like, of course you do. Right. But this is like a national parks pack. 
and it's right. really satisfying. Um, I love that. So yeah. Yeah. And one thing like this might seem like out of left field, but I definitely like when I was pregnant, um, another time when like I wasn't getting my usual dopamine hits, you know, and I think like it, it's a similar kind of thing where you can't do your regular training. Anyway, it was like an opportunity for me to learn what the different elements of my training were doing for me. So like, for example, I found that like, like I used to like running was part of my life. And when I was 16 years old and I only didn't run for like a couple months during my pregnancy, it's the first couple months I hadn't run for like years, like 20 years. And so I learned though, then that like actually walking and being outside, like being outside was a huge part of what running was doing for me, but I had never separated those things out. And that has now like for, you know, that's, that was like 13, <laughs> 13 years ago. Like just that learning was really, has been really important because like, Oh, I don't need to go running. I can go outside. And that will give me a little bit of that, like joy that I'm looking for. Um, so that was, that was something I was just like uh, right at the tip of my tongue that I was going to say is that making sure that people get sunshine and we're endurance Mm. athletes who go outside all of the time. And then all of a sudden, if, you know, it's great to take a course and it's great to tackle some of these other, you know, activities that we want to do, but remembering that some of those, if you're not quite getting it, what you need out of that. And you're sitting there going, Oh, that probably isn't for me. It is likely that you're a person that it's important to get outside every day. So that I'm glad, I'm really, really glad that I heard you say that. It's actually, yeah. a, oh, go ahead. Mm-hmm. I would say it's, it's actually an activity. I give some of my, um, my athletes is to list out what they love about that, about different pieces of training that they're missing. Like, is it feeling like, like you did like a really hard effort, then you can do a short VO2 session on Zwift or go outside or, or go join a group ride and get a VO2 that way, or go outside if you're missing being outside. Cause a lot of times we associate cycling with, like you said, with all those different things or with running, but we don't realize like, maybe we like to swim cause we actually just like to be with our friends. And that's like mm-hmm. the most enjoyable part of that. So then you can just replace that without having to do the 5k hard session or go for the run or do the the long bike ride mm-hmm. yeah and jen you actually raced in kona i did Yay. yeah congratulations hey, that was awesome. <laughs> um what have you actually been doing these last few weeks you know um, i can't lie because my coach is on here too so yeah <laughs> <laughs> be like not my program today <laughs> Um, so I, I always get post-race blues. Like I just expect them. Like I, like whenever I race up until the following weekend, I will probably be like pretty down. Like I just, it's just Mm -hmm. a thing. So and with every race and then typically, especially in my last race of the season, uh, which the last years have been, well, this year was Kona. And so that's like a really big thing to come off of because it's, it was on top of it being a race. It was like a race. It was such an amazing 10 day experience there. Mm -hmm. So for me, I know it's important. I knew after Kona, I needed a break, like a really big break. For the first time in a long time, I was like, Marilyn, I can't, I can't like, I don't want to do anything. So I didn't do anything for a week, nothing. I just like got caught up in work and had traveled and stuff. And then it's been lifting, actually. I used to do a lot of CrossFit and strength training and haven't in years. And so I've been back at the gym, which has been like, I found myself in the gym, like want, looking around, like, I don't know where any of the equipment is. I just know where the treadmill is. <laughs> so that's been fun and getting back to something I've, I haven't done for a long time. And that's helped a lot because it's just a totally different experience. And so I find that's helpful too. If there's something you've been wanting to try out, like now is a great time to do if it's yoga or Pilates or kettlebells or I don't know, whatever it is, that seems like a fun thing. Um, trying that out. This is a really great time of year to do. And it's helped me a lot kind of like get through the blues and focus on something else. Mm-hmm. Well, Marilyn, I know you have Iron Man experience. You both have, you know, real life experience. <laughs> Sorry, did I cut you off? Were you going to say something there? You know, I'm good. <laughs> Okay. Um, no, Marilyn, I know like you have experience too. What did you do after a race? Yeah. One thing I was going to say is that one thing I guide my athletes through is right after a race to not make any major life decisions. Yeah. Um, that's a really important part of it because your urge when you feel restless in that time is going to be to want to suddenly make all these major changes. It might be they, you know, they just make these drastic big changes. And I always advise my athletes say, just, just hold on for a second. Like, let's just, let's just see how you feel about this in two weeks and really, you know, 
just sort of settle settle down a little bit for a couple of weeks before you make any major life decisions or any changes. Like people will want to quit the sport or change coaches or, you know, sell their bike or take up something completely drastically different. I always say, just give it a couple of weeks and, and then let's go from there. Um, for But for your question, what I used to do, you know, honestly, uh, because I raced year round, full time for a good 10 years, the, the breaks weren't terribly long. They were, and I raced, I mean, Sarah, you and I raced together. We had our careers together for a, a long period of time. And, you know, it was, you take, you take a week off, which you were more than happy to do because you trained so hard and then you really raced to the well. And, you know, you took a week off and you just spent that time, you, you know, just relaxing and recovering and doing some light activities. And then it really wasn't much more than a week and you got right back to training. So, you know, that's, um, I, I think I had a, probably a little bit of different experience because there wasn't these huge, massive gaps between refocus for the next event. I will say that I've done a lot of work uh, recently with retiring professional athletes. Mm -hmm. And I went through that when it's actually an end of, mm -hmm. we talked about, Aaron, you said earlier about like Olympic cycles. And so I've done quite a few interviews with, you know, uh, professional basketball player, professional triathletes, there's professional cyclists, all different sports, but it sort of is the same kind of concept that we're talking about today is where there's this, you know, when there's a massive transition out. So me personally, post-race wasn't so much of an issue for me just because the opportunity wasn't there. However, it did present itself and I had a very strategic plan post-career because now this was going to be a big, big shift. So probably a, another conversation, another time, but similar, similar type stuff. Well, I'm curious now though, like briefly, like what did that plan look like for you? Like what were those things that you, you know, I, you know, I have my own experience with this as well, but like, how did you transition out? Yeah, it was really having uh, exactly the things that we're talking about, having a plan set before that transition happened mm -hmm. to continue the same routine and habits. So it's it's really and we talk about what that does physically, emotionally, mentally, um, you know, as far as the chemicals in your body, all of these things. But it's it's the advice I'm giving is exact same post race depression, post you know, four-year cycle of Olympic Games, major events, uh, post-career, but it really comes down every conversation I've had where there's this huge possibility to, for it to go into some kind of depression, or maybe there's even things that you don't even know are underlying. And that's a huge topic as far as what athletes go through. And, and it really is sticking close to routine and habits. And that piece alone, if you focus on that, I mean, it's a huge conversation, but that piece is, is the most important piece. So I went to a completely different sport. So I didn't have the pressure and I didn't have the expectations and I didn't have anything that was sort of those noises in your head, but I continued to stick very close to the same uh, patterns, routines, habits, all of those things. And that really uh, transitioned me through that chapter really nicely. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And Aaron, I'm thinking of like some of the people who perhaps are listening or watching who aren't like, who aren't elite athletes who don't turn around and boom, a week later, like start training, you know, or who have maybe like promised their partner that they're going to do less tri now that the world championships is over they're going to be doing less triathlon right um wh what do you recommend for those people yeah I think the one thing that I'll say that this kind of aligns with what Marilyn was saying too about kind of this big transitions in retirement one of the things that we know for athletes are going to be more likely to experience like psychological distress, anxiety, depression, um, other difficulties with emotion regulation, the ups and downs for, there's two things that I think of right away. One, their athletic identity, the stronger their athletic identity and the weaker their identity in other areas of their life. Um, mm -hmm. being a parent, being a sibling, being a friend, being an entrepreneur, whatever it is, it is so important for people to feed those parts of their identity while they're still competing, regardless of how serious they are or how competitive or how elite or pro they are as an athlete, because that makes these transitions a lot more manageable. Um, and then I think the other thing to think about is just the, the more, and this is very, a very sports psych thing that I spend a lot of time talking about with athletes because it's so prominent, the more we tie our self-worth to the outcome of our competition, 
the harder it's going to be. So for any athlete, regardless of what level you are, if you're going for a certain time or a PR and you don't reach it and you feel like a failure, that is going to make it much more difficult because there's always this like bar, this gap that you haven't yet reached. And so that comparison game can be really, really tricky. Um, So I'd say, especially for like the athletes where they're kind of looking for this next thing. One of this, there's this concept in positive psychology that we talk about. It's called the hedonic treadmill. And I talk about it a lot with endurance athletes because it is so common where basically what happens is we know, we often say, I'll be happier or I'll be satisfied when I make it to worlds. I'll be happier, satisfied when I finish my first Ironman. It'll just be one, right? And the, we get that happiness increases and then it naturally goes back to baseline. We as human, like we just have a natural set point for happiness in general. And so then we look for our next fix. And so then it's like, well, how about this one? Well, maybe I'll just do one more. And that's that, you know, like we're, it's the treadmill. It's like the hamster on the wheel. We're always looking for our next thing. So that, that fits really nicely with what Marilyn is saying is like, don't make any huge decisions. Like give yourself a moment because it's easy to get caught up in that cycle. And I've done it. It happens to a lot of us. Mm-hmm. And the, like what you said there about like athletic identity and like leaning into other identities that you have, like how, what does that in practice, what does that look like? Like, how do we lean into some of those other identities? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I often ask athletes, like before you, before this sport took this much time or this big chunk out of your life, like how did you spend your time and your energy? Um, and it might be like, Working with, like, I have um, an athlete I'm thinking of right away, like AA meetings. Um, She's like, I haven't been to one in a long time. Like, I want to go back. Mm -hmm. Um, Or thinking of, like, volunteering, um, church communities, um, other just, like, what are the other communities that you have been unintentionally pulled away from because you spent so much time training and competing? Like, Mm -hmm. go back. They still want you. Um, Mm -hmm. other friends, other family members, um, and then other fun things like maybe it's gardening and taking like master gardeners class or buying more like indoor plants. That's what I like Mm -hmm. to do. Right. So it's trying to kind of feed yourself in those other areas. Right. Yeah. Like for me, that was definitely taking on like entrepreneurship and just redistribute, like taking all of my goals from one area. I just put them somewhere else. Right. Um, So when I have my next transition, who knows what's going to happen, but um, Jennifer, uh, we have a comment from um, Mary Lou. Thank you for your comment. Um, And if other people just to decide if other folks have questions, definitely throw them in the comments, whether you're watching on YouTube or on Facebook, um, because we will, I will make sure we ask the panelists your questions. Um, and she's saying that she's ready to get back after Ironman California. Um, but her significant other, uh, really struggles with a time commitment, um, to training. What would you say, um, to the, and I think this is, I mean, I've brought up that example before, like, I think this is super common. Um, how do you coach those people? Yeah. I mean, I think it starts with really being really clear in your goals and priorities and what that looks like. And then like working backwards into that. So, Mm -hmm. you know, you just Ironman California, likely not going to do another race for like a while. So one suggestion is, is like, you know, definitely taking that time off, having a really good conversation or partner like what is it they don't like about the training is it too much time because it's really fresh for them too like they maybe need two weeks to like of a downtime <laughs> you know they need like a break from training too and then to reassess it but if this is something that's really important to you then get really clear is it just finishing Ironman is it being really competitive is it improving like what is it about it that you want mm-hmm. and then what is it going to really take and maybe that's working with a coach like what are the pieces really going to take and then having that conversation with your partner so that they feel a part of it as well um, and they feel like on your team like I find that that's the if your partner can be on feel like they're a part of your team and your experience like that is something that goes for a long distance and it's so much better to do that now in off season than like four weeks before a race when you're like head out the door for another like eight hour ride you know like you want to do all this work ahead of time so everybody feels like they're really on board at the same time including yourself mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that's great advice and anyone else yeah, I think like when it comes to any <laughs> any relationship, it's communication, right? I, how many athletes I work with that I actually have to say to them exactly the piece that Jennifer's talking about. Have you talked to everybody involved about what it is that this really 
entails. So if you're taking on an Ironman, does does everybody know exactly what that means? Not just, hey, I entered an Ironman. And then a surprise, I'm going to be gone 20 hours a week and at work all week and exhausted when I'm around. So it's like having those conversations ahead of time. And it is oftentimes if you don't, if you have a spouse that's not in the sport or maybe you haven't expressed to them exactly how important this is to you, they're just sitting there waiting for this to be over. So I think that's really, they, they sit around going like, okay, this is, this is over after this. And they're, and I think, you know, having a really good conversation with your, you know, the people in your life that this isn't, you know, what did you guys say at the start? Triathlon didn't stop on at Kona. It continues. Right. And you are, if you are a triathlete, you are an endurance athlete. It's a really important conversation to have with the people in your life that, Hey, yes, there's going to be times where there's more dedication and it's going to be more time consuming. And this is when they are and even, you know, map it out. And then these are going to be times where there's going to be a little bit more freedom and I'm going to be able to do a little bit more and I'm going to be able to be flexible and I'm going to have more time on my hands. And I think when everybody knows how important it's to you and that this isn't going anywhere, but this is how it can be structured throughout the year. So there's room for both things and then make them a part of it. And make them, you know, how can they be included in it and not just sitting there waiting for it to be done? Then I think that, you know, everyone can enjoy it, learn from it and, and really be a part of the whole big picture of it. Yeah, for sure. And Marilyn, when's the when's the best time to start thinking about to start planning your goals again? Like when's that nice time frame or how does it vary for the athlete to athlete? Yeah, I, I mandatory. I have a lot of some athletes that the second they finish their race, they're they're ready to go within days to, you know, send me, you know, all, all of the breakdown of how it went and what they're going to do next. And I, I always say, like, give it a couple of days and then we'll go over the race. And then once we've gone over the race and it's the end of the season, I always recommend, hey, take a week, 10 days and just go in and do something else. Think about other things. You know, obviously I know that most of my athletes really well. And so I know if they're, if I need to be checking in on them more, more, or if they're the type of athlete that needs that schedule check, or if they need, you know, Jennifer and I had that very clear conversation. Hey, Marilyn, I need a week to do nothing. Okay. Just go away and do nothing. So, you know, I think that after that period of time, one or two weeks, then we need, then that's the time to start to revisit things. I think in that first seven days, it just really should be encouraged to just relax and enjoy the downtime and take some time to reflect because how you feel at the finish line, how you feel 24 hours later, how you feel 48 hours later, and how you feel one week later is really, really different. So for example, I had an athlete that raced in Kona. We went in there with really, she had put in all the work. We went in with high expectations. She didn't quite have the day that she wanted. And I knew that she needed a little space and how she felt immediately at the finish line. By the time we had even had our conversation about the race it was a full 10 days later. And it needed that amount of breathing room for her to really reflect on everything mm -hmm. and see things differently and understand that even though some things that day didn't go the way they wanted, she went from being incredibly unhappy with herself to really realizing how good a job she had done all year, the improvements she made and, and, you know, how well the race actually went, just maybe not, we didn't quite hit the targets that we had set out to that day. So it changes, mm -hmm. right? So to, to, you know, to answer your question, I think a week, if you're going to put a, a number on it, give yourself a week, give yourself seven days. Yeah. Well, and you even talked about, you were like 10 days later, I'm like 10 days is not that long. You know, like there's no limit on when you can start making your goals again or when you can change your goals and when you know like there's not a lot of rules it just tends to be around like when people start to get anxious and and, and need that you know um Aaron if folks are like looking for a way to start planning the next season what do you recommend for starting that process of goal setting yeah I think the one thing I'll really stress is that the I don't want to say the best athletes, the, the most successful or the most fulfilled, um, whatever we want to kind of define, um, the happiest or most satisfied athletes are going to be the ones who are willing to adjust and pivot their goals as needed. So they're consistently revisiting them. Um, and so I think when it comes to like the goal setting process, it's asking yourself, I always go back to kind of your moral compass and your value system. Like, what am I getting out of this? And then who do I want to be as an athlete? How do I want other people to describe me? How do I want my coach to describe me? How do I want my partner, my family or friends or loved ones? What do I want them to say about me? And then 
what races fit with that? Like values and goals have to align because if they are butting heads, like you are not going to be a happy athlete um, because you're going to feel like you're always letting someone down or letting yourself down, or you're not going to be fully satisfied because this goal that you're working toward um, isn't really truly allowing you to be the athlete you want to be. You might feel stifled, frustrated, something doesn't fit right. So I say do the work by first setting your values. What do I want to go for this year? What do I want to lean into? And then the goals can follow. And then you ask yourself, okay, if I really lean into, you know, persistence or consistency with training or mental toughness, what is that going to look like for me on Mm. on the race course, on the trainer, in the pool at 5 a.m.? And then am I able and willing to do that? Hmm. I love that. That's because at first I was like, what does she mean? Values relating to goals. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, it's like, yeah. it's like I value um, yeah. kindness. So how do right. I turn that into a triathlon goal? <laughs> right. So like one really good example is like, let's say you have, let's say family is one of your values. Um, Iron Man is very, very, we know it takes a lot out of you. And so what can you still, if you really want to go for Iron Man, great how are you going to still prioritize this value of family? What is that going to look like? And it might be bringing kids with you for some of the run or the ride, even though it's not matching your numbers or your splits that you're supposed to hit. It might mean like compromising and going, having a date night once a week with your spouse. Um, But you've got to kind of build that into your goal setting. Otherwise you're just going to feel like you're letting your family down for those eight or nine months. And then you're going to feel frustrated with yourself and then it's like that kind of that they might feel resentful and then no one's happy. So I always say, who do you want to be as an athlete? And then build the goals around that. Right. Right. And Jennifer, is that how you set your goals? Like, do you think about your values? And I know that you said you said you have a daughter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, how do you how do you align those things in your life? Yeah, I also like to think about like, how do I want to feel throughout the year? So a lot of, you know, if you think of how we take action, it's from our feelings, and then that creates our results. So it's supposed to just being focused on like a goal or a time or this, like, do I want how do I want to feel at the end of the season? How do I want to feel with each race? And then where's that going to get me? And I actually do that like year after year, because as we know, with endurance words, you kind of build season after season. So I like to build to that piece of it as well. Um, so I add that feeling piece in, like, how do I want to feel after this race, building to it, what I want that experience to be like, how do I want to show up for race day all the way across the board. Um, and then I'm really big on periodizing, like my priorities. So like my daughter's super important to me. But honestly, like four weeks before Ironman, like, I'm not going to be the best. I'm going to be really tired. I'm going to fall asleep on her bed when I put her to bed, like every night. <laughs> We're going to have like not the best food. Like there are things I'm going to do. But now that my race is over, we did the trunk retreat and like the pumpkin farm. And I have been everything. I volunteer like four times in our classroom. Like I am super present because I know when before a race, I just can't be because I'm going to prioritize my race experience over volunteering in the classroom. So I work that into my planning and my races too. So if you take a family trip, it's going to be at a time that makes sense for everybody. So I'm not like trying to train and be on a family trip or be frustrated because I can't train. So that I think is a big piece of it is how you like prioritize, like periodize the goal setting as well. So that all kind of fits into a year. And then again, back to like making sure everybody's aware of that. Like I have a full conversation with my daughter about like, this is what this is going to look like. Like, this is what this month will probably be like. And here's why. And she's like, okay, like I'm on, I'm on board for it. And that works really well. Yeah. And also I think I was, I like to remind myself (laughs) that like, it's, it's important for in particular our daughters to see us doing those things. It's so important to see like that as women, we have goals that we have things that we do inside the house that we can be girl bosses and our man triathletes and I mean, all of my my mom was a stay at home mom and I never like really understood that. And so I've had to do a lot of like self work and being like, Mm -hmm. it's okay if I leave the house and she stays with her other parent totally fine to have time with her dad. I can go ride a bike. I'm not a bad mom, but that comes up a lot. And so it's a lot Mm -hmm. of like self work and understanding that. So when you set your goals and those thoughts come up, like if I race four times, I'm a bad mom, or what does that mean for a family? Mm -hmm. Like really evaluate where is that coming from? Is that a thought you really want to keep? Like, is that really a belief you want to have? Or can you reformat how you think about your racing as an athlete and as a mom and other benefits you're providing to your kids? Like, you know, my daughter got to see me at the all women's race, the world championship. And that honestly has changed the view of herself, maybe for her life. I mean, it was really that powerful. And she got to do that because I prioritize at some points in my life racing so that I can get to that race and she can be a part of it. Mm -hmm. I love that. 
Um, so Mary Lou's asking, do you ever suggest like moving your long rides and runs? This is maybe for Marilyn during like to during the week to free up weekends for family. Is that something in, a, in practical terms that you recommend for athletes? Oh, yeah. I mean, a, a training schedule has got to work with someone's life, right? So <laughs> everybody's life it looks a little bit different. And if, you know, if it works better for them to do their long ride on Wednesday than it does on Saturday, then that's our job as a coach to to program that accordingly. You know, there's there's going to be some people travel a lot for work or they have other, you know, other things in their life that just we there's this all kinds of moving parts and you've got to be able to program around it that you get them ready for their event. And so. So, yes, absolutely. I mean, there's there's all different kinds of way to prepare someone to do well in a race and then, you know, help them successfully come off of a race season or a major event and feel really good about themselves and, you know, reevaluate, set new goals, all those kinds of things. And, you know, whatever, when you work with someone as a coach, you're not just giving them a plan and say, do this. You say, what does your life look like? What are your goals? And then now we need to build a progressive and consistent and repeatable program that allows you to achieve those goals and keep getting better and better. And if that's not working around their life, then that's not going to happen. Right. So that's that's a really important and basic front end conversation between coach and athlete. So absolutely. Yeah. 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 Really and I think that's where like that's where coaches are so helpful, like Jen and Marilyn, with like setting goals. They need to be realistic. And so talk to your coach about be like, OK, this is what I'm dreaming about. And then coach can check you and being like, OK, let's look at your training volume this past year, this past season. How was it for you? Was it manageable? Um, I noticed A, B and C. If you want to pursue this, this is likely what we'd be looking at. Is that something that you have room for? Um, and then that's where you have to do some soul searching. Like, what am I willing to kind of compromise on? What am I willing to move and shift in my life for this season in order to meet these goals or to go toward them? Or do I, do I want to like focus on something else, another part of my identity, and then shift the goal to make it more reasonable or manageable, given those expectations or other responsibilities that I've set for myself. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, okay. Before we go, if anyone has a question, please ask it now. Um, but I do want to ask this um, because I think I'll ask you to start Aaron, but others can jump in. Like I know that for some folks, um, that post-race moment can lead to a more serious depression. So if we do have people listening who are who are struggling to like, they've heard the advice, but they're struggling to pull themselves out, what do you suggest for those people? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think the first thing is like assuming that they're doubling down on all of the basics, sleep, nutrition, rest, vitamin D, like movement, whatever that looks like, social support, like make sure that you've got those bases covered. Um, and then if the symptoms really do continue, especially more than like two weeks, that's when we're looking at something more serious and look at how it's affecting like your functioning in other areas of life. Is it affect affecting your relationships, your work, um, other components of like your relationship with your coach? Are you going silent, going rogue um, and no longer commenting on things? Right. That's when there's probably something else going on. Um, I always say, try to find, if you can try to find a like mental performance sport person who is also a licensed clinician because they can help you unpack like it very much overlaps. Um, I'm happy to provide resources. The one that I would say that's easy to Google is the U S Olympic and Paralympic committee has a mental health registry. And it's basically a huge database. You can see all the states, whether or not providers take insurance, contact information, everything. So just search USOPC Mental Health Registry, and you can trust that everyone on that list has been vetted and is licensed as a mental health professional and sport. And so they're either a sports psychologist or comparable um, given their license. And so that's always kind of the best step. Also, talk to your coach if you if you're able to have that relationship with them and that conversation with them, um, because they can also provide you with some resources and kind of put you in contact with folks. Yeah. yeah. So one, the, um, one thing I would love to add to that is for you said, Sarah, there's going to be people who are listening who are struggling with this and we're giving them great advice, information and tools. But I think the first step is 
if you are one of these people is to speak up and say something because most people, you know, we're by design, we're hard on ourselves and as endurance athletes. And it's hard to admit when you need, when you're struggling, because we always want to be seen as successful. And so the most important thing is to, if you are struggling, a lot of people will even set in place all of the tools that we suggest and they'll still be struggling, but they won't say anything. So just have the courage to say something to somebody, to anybody, whether it's a close friend or a coach or a spouse or someone, but just um, be be okay with actually speaking up and saying something about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's great advice. Um, Jennifer, any last minute words of wisdom? I would say the only other thing is this is such a great time to work on the mindset pieces that perhaps you haven't incorporated Mm -hmm. into your training. Like that is the piece of you can do all you want with like physical training. But if you haven't really like honed in your mindset when you race and train, like that's a piece, an element that you're missing. And now is a great time to start. Even if it's like a 10 minute meditation every morning, like give it a Mm -hmm. a try, download an app, give it a shot, like Mm -hmm. use that now and create that habit. So when training picks up, you're already used to doing that. And you're now you can start to incorporate that into your training and your endurance training into your racing and so now is a great time or even like mobility work like anything that is super enhanceful that's really hard to do like when you're thick of racing and training do it now and then it'll already be a part of your routine in life by the time you pick up training again for the next race mm-hmm. that's great yeah, that's something i've found super useful the last couple of years is like that 10 minutes of motivation or meditation i should oh say in God. the morning where it's, it's like Yeah. And I'm literally like in the habit of asking myself, like, what am I doing today? How do I want the day to go? And does it align with like my values and goals? Right. Mm -hmm. And then you can feel sense those things right away. Like when something's off, like, oh, maybe that's not a road I should be going down, you know? Um, So yeah, that's something I found super helpful. Yeah. And you know, do that for two weeks and then maybe set your goals and priorities after that. You might be in a slightly different place. If you spend that quiet time with yourself, then you would be 10 days after race. Like maybe you Mm -hmm. do it a month afterwards after two, two weeks of doing some mindfulness work might be totally different. Mm -hmm. Anyone else? Last minute words of wisdom before we sign off. Any other questions? You've shared all you've imparted all your wisdom. Amazing. Well, thank you all so much. Thanks, Aaron, Marilyn, Jennifer. We appreciate you. Um, And for our audience and people listening after, um, yes, all the best with all of your next moves. And we hope that you have at least gleaned some wisdom from our panel today. So thanks, everybody. Thank Thank you. Thank you, everyone.